0: Hello, friends. Welcome or welcome back. This is The Overview Effect with James Perrin. This is my podcast where I talk to influential business people, not-for-profit leaders, environmentalists, thinkers about nature and community. And I really like to approach the conversations from a big picture perspective, that overview perspective of not just how they view the world and what they do, but why they do it and what their personal motivations are. So Thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited for another episode. Of course, I'd like to start this episode by acknowledging that this podcast is recorded on Bundjalung land and I want to pay my deep respects and gratitude to members of the Bundjalung community and in fact, members of all indigenous communities around the world. A Deep, deep gratitude for this beautiful country on which we live. So this is episode seven. Thank you for joining me and Look, if you're interested in things like renewable energy, community energy, localization, decentralization from multinational organizations, giving power back to the people uh, in localization movements, then this is the episode for you. Because my guest today is not only just advocating for these things, but she's co-founded a company called Innova Community Energy which is an electricity company that is actively moving society towards them. We often hear people talk about elements of society and the economy about the way that things should be with not a lot of ideas on how to get from A to B and how to transition. Well, this episode today and my guest today and her business are a perfect example of trying to transition us from old school and old way of being and living to a new society And it's really exciting what they're trying to do. My guest today has a wide-ranging career. She's worked in government and business. She was actually the former businesswoman of the year and has an Order of Australia. So a very well-credentialed, very intelligent woman. And we start the conversation by talking about her personal motivations of getting involved with environmental causes, which actually led her to be on the front lines of the Bentley blockade protesting against the coal seam gas movement and how from that she and her friends pulled together this crazy idea for a community electricity company um, after having zero previous experience in the electricity industry. So a really awesome story. Uh, We talk about the big multinational energy companies and how their dominance in the market causes massive issues for society. And we also get right into the woods on things like electricity usage, on energy issues, on specific projects. And I would just like to say if that sort of stuff is new for you, then stick with it because this is something that matters to all of us. You know, fossil fuels are not only a major contributor to climate change, but a massive cause of environmental degradation and, you know, social injustice and land rights issues. So this is something that is hugely important Um Please, if you're interested, if you're feeling the conversation, I highly, highly, highly recommend you head over to the Innova website because if you're not a customer with Innova, this is another thing. People often wonder, what can I do? You know, climate change and all these massive environmental issues, what can I do? I'm, I don't have money to invest. We all buy electricity. So if you're not buying your electricity from Innova or another community-owned electricity retailer then do that now. Because by making that switch, you are voting with your dollar and you are making and supporting the transition to not just community energy, but to localized community organizations. So please head over to the Anova website and make that switch if you haven't already. All right, that's enough from me. I'm going to head straight into the conversation. Now, please, I hope you enjoy it. Um, This is a beautiful conversation with the co-founder and chair of Innova Community Energy, none other than Alison Crook, AO. Um, Officially, Alison, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. James. I always like to start off uh, with the first question to lead in, which is really playing on the concept and inspiration of the show, which is the overview effect, which is that experience that astronauts feel when they first view Earth from space. And I'd love to know if you've had any moments in your life or even points, points of time where your perception of the world has been shaped quite dramatically and you've had this kind of change in the way that you see and interact with the world?
1: Starting with the big ones first. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Look, I guess in one sense I've always been interested in the big questions and I usually do take the big picture approach to things. So I'm a student of philosophy. That was my first um, and primary set of degrees. So um, that's been an area that's interested me for a long time and – I come at answering that question for a couple of different angles. The first is um, I guess I've always, over many years, understood that we and everything in the universe are basically composed of subatomic particles. Yes. Um, and so there's that sense, there's that knowledge that everything is interconnected. Mm. Um, and I certainly recall a couple of key moments when I experienced that Interconnectedness, um, so that it becomes a reality for you. It's not just an intellectual knowledge. It's yeah. a It's a, a gut feeling of that interconnectedness. Yes. And, and so I certainly recall that.
0: So that we are that feeling that we are not separate from the earth and each other. Yeah. And that's that's very much. A- a kind of thread that runs through, I guess, modern societies is that we're we're separate to nature. I mean, there's this nature is there to be conquered, and what can we take from nature, and now what can we take from society? Whereas coming from that, um, yeah. quite metaphysical perspective, I can see how that would be quite powerful. Yeah. Was there a, a distinct kind of point in time where you feel like that?
1: I just I remember a sensation just. One day when I was simply walking around the university campus in undergraduate years Mm. and the sun was shining and suddenly I just felt as though everything was one. (laughs) (laughs) And you just knew it. Yes, and I wasn't on anything. <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be my next question. No. Um, and, and the second time, I think, was probably through meditation. Mm. Um, when you become you know deeply aware of of you, you turn off all the chattering chattering mind stuff, and yes. you become aware of the energy flows. And yeah,
0: I think that's why meditation is so powerful for yep. many people, is because it forces us to get out of the cycle of the scrolling or the social media or the mass media or the.
1: Yeah. And and everything just circling around in your head anyway, even when it's not. So yes. <laughs> listening to the the chattering minds, yeah. yeah, chattering monkeys, I think they called it. Yeah. <laughs> ah, yeah.
0: yeah. uh, beautiful. So, yeah. Well,
1: so, and then apart from that, I think there's a couple of angles where I'd say it's the aha moment rather than the. Telescopic moment and the, the aha moments in terms of my feelings about the environment and what needed to be done. Mm. Um, if that's you know if that's of interest, yeah. um, the first is um, when I had was very newly appointed head of state and regional development in New South Wales, and I was with the minister for energy, and we were sitting in an office in Guangzhou, <laughs> and we were having we had a full day of people coming in telling us how rapidly they were going to build steel plants and how much coal they needed from Australia mm. and that if we didn't supply it at the price they wanted, they'd bring it down dirty brown coal from the north anyway, um, but they'd really like our good black coal at a certain price. So that went wow. on day after, you know, hour after hour after hour and I came out of there thinking, we are all stuffed.
0: Yeah. You yeah. Know? <laughs> wow. <laughs> so,
1: you know, that was, that was in 96, yeah, end of 95, beginning of 96. Wow. And... Then I sort of, you know, that, you know, went past for a while and then I guess the next thing was that I was up here um, living locally and I became more and more aware of the environment that I was living in and the need to do something to protect it. I got involved with the Bentley movement, Mm. the coal seam gas thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. So were you out there on the front lines? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Wow. You know, not... All that often, but we yes. were out there. Um, what was that and, like? And I remember going out. We were going out for what we thought was the big dust-up when we thought there were 600, some somewhere between 600 and 900 police supposed to be arriving and we knew that we could have, you know, 6,000 people there to stop it and we'd been phoning in, you know, telling them that we could have 6,000 people there to stop it so it wouldn't be a good idea mm. and, um, and we were on our way out and just as we were driving out we heard that it had been all Called off.
0: Yes. That would
1: have been and one hell so of a we party. Ar- we arrived in time for the everybody <laughs> standing around celebrating thing, yeah. and w- it was just absolutely obvious that it wasn't, this was fabulous, but it wasn't enough to do mm. to say no. We had to show them that it wasn't necessary. It was completely unnecessary. We had the renewable resources, yes. And we had to demonstrate that we could do something with those renewable resources.
0: And that was really where, what, the the, the ANOVA was kind of founded or the idea behind it, is that right?
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, it came out of, there was also, there had been an ongoing movement in this area to get more renewable generation going. Mm. Um, And there was a strong movement of sustainability officers of the shires, and I was mentoring one of the, sustainability officers from Byronshire, mm. and uh, she said to me, oh, there's going to be a community energy conference in Canberra. Come on down for it. And so I went with her, and we saw what they were doing down at Dalesford yep. uh, with the wind, and we looked at each other and said, if they can do that there, given, yes. what we can, given you know the movement that we already have in, in the northern rivers, we can do it up here. Mm. So when we got back, we started mapping out who was doing what and getting people together. And out of that, we were ready to go when... and But it was becoming increasingly obvious that what was needed was not just the ability to do local generation, but you needed an organisation to purchase that energy. Yes. Um, the people from um, the wind farm had already said they'd had trouble, by, you know, getting someone to buy their power because um, the big three um, just weren't interested. Mm. Um, and... So, with the sustainability officers had got themselves together. They got some money from uh, the New South Wales government, um, the Office of Environment and Heritage in those days, and the Total Environment Centre worked with them. And they put out a, a tender to do a feasibility study for a community scale retailer. Mm. And four of us. And at that stage, you know, I, from that stage on, I didn't have anything to do with the sustainability officers. We had to put in. We had to put in a bid. Um, to win, and we won that tender wow. up against competition um, to do a feasibility study. Yeah, and it went from there. So yeah.
0: And so, had you had any background to energy and electricity and those that sort of market and that sort of world
1: prior to this? No, <laughs> <laughs> no. And I have to say that if at that point Steve Harris hadn't come along, mm. uh, I don't think we would have ever got you know ever off the ground. But Steve heard that four of us had um, won the tender to do the feasibility study and he came, put up his hand and said, I actually have spent the last, all my life, working in the energy industry. I was involved in the merger of Country Energy and Origin mm-hmm. and I developed the Green Power Program for Origin. And would you like me to be involved?
0: Wow. <laughs> yes, said, please. yes, please.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. So, That's amazing. And yeah. I was actually just speaking with... um with Pete from Cbin Foundation, and he said that um, had he known that the naivety was, is one of his greatest assets because had he known what would be involved, he probably never would have got started. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> here, here.
0: <laughs> oh, I love it.
1: Um, yes, so I knew that I had the organisational skills and that I had good backgrounds in a whole lot of areas that would be relevant. Um, I'd been involved in... Um, you know, boards of companies, I could do the, all of the governance the administration side and, and, yeah. and I was very good at making things happen. Um, but I certainly didn't know anything about energy and I certainly didn't know how hard energy retailing was or, mm. or how risky it was.
0: It's a really interesting concept because mm. um, you're right, when, when we think about renewable energy and community energy, our first our minds go to solar farms and wind farms and we hear about these stories of these big technical technological um infrastructure projects but starting a retailer is is that middleman and I guess can you give us a bit of a background into what's the current or historical markets like who are those big players mm. and how much control do they
1: have yeah well this of course goes back to 2014 okay when we when we started it yep. uh, and then uh, the energy market was very clear-cut it was totally centralized Um. You had some renewables beginning, um, but the big three, um, Energy, Australia, Origin and AGL, Mm. um, completely dominated the market basically in all states except, well, the the, the energy market in Victoria, New South Wales, South Australia. Um, And they owned, uh, and 83%, even in 2016, 17, 83% of the energy that we use still comes from fossil fuel. Wow. Still, and uh, and the bulk of it is owned by those three players.
0: And um, they own not just the, the retail but also most of the generation as well. That's exactly
1: right. So they own the, the fossil fuel plants, power plants, um, and then you've got centralised fossil fuel power plants and then you've got large-scale transmission and distribution. So the transmission's the big poles and wires and the distribution is the smaller ones mm-hmm. um, coming into the households and into the small business and industry. And... Um, and they're, they're partly, um, partly they were owned by government, but in New South Wales, two of the three plants have been um, privatised. Mm. Um, so you've got the, what are called the Gen Tailors. Um, so they own Generation and Retail. Yep. Origin Energy Australia and AGL and also um, Red Energy, which is the, um, the, the snowy, snowy hydro. Mm. Um, and they own both ends of the value chain and in the middle you've got distribution and so they are in a position to basically control the pricing Mm. and there's an energy market that's been set up since the early 2000s and they bid into the market every five minutes the price is set on the highest price that was required to meet market demand for that half hour and then uh, that's the price everybody has to pay for energy, and, re- and renewables are not allowed to bid because they're not regarded as firm enough to bid. So, wow. you, so, so they're price takers um, in the sense they can't they can't bid in advance. And the, if there's not enough energy, then it's made by those that can be turned on quickly, and that's the gas. Yep. Um, wow. So. The people who control that end have been in a position to basically control the price. Yeah. And they were making – there was a good margin at the retail end but the on the occasion when – I think this is getting too complicated for them. <laughs> No, this is good.
0: This is good because this is all stuff that, that people never hear and we don't understand. You're, you're doing a really yeah. great job at explaining it.
1: So – Back in 2017, when the brown uh, coal power plant, the Yaloon power plant, closed mm. in um, in Victoria, and this came shortly after there'd been the big storms, which had been the preceding November yeah. in uh, South Australia, which had knocked over the the. Um, Power lines,
0: yeah, cause blackouts, cause blackouts, blackouts,
1: Yep. and everybody said, you know, just shows. And when you get a blackout and it can't be delivered, then the price spikes.
0: Yes. Because.
1: So then we had the fossil fuel um, plants plant closing in Victoria, and the price went in one day from an average of fifty four dollars a megawatt hour to fourteen thousand dollars a megawatt hour. Whoa dropped to 5,000 by the end of the day and then was allowed to go down to about a 108 and sat there for most of the next six months sat there until July because and so there wasn't a retailer including the big three making any money during that six months mm. because it was sitting at roughly double what it was costing to make so well. still it's not costing them any more than the 54 roughly you know yeah. on average. But they're they're charging it out at 108 because they can, and then it's gradually. That was when everybody started to get very very agitated about the price. Remember? Yes. Yes. Over that period, and then they've gradually allowed it to come down. So it's still it was sitting in the 80s and 90s most of last year. It's still coming down a bit. Yeah. But you know, the price hasn't increased all that much, and especially now when you've got more and more renewables coming on.
0: Yes. Which are cheaper. Per, like if they were able to bid it, they'd be significantly cheaper, right?
1: But they can't um, be sure that they'll be delivering it and they certainly yeah. can't be delivering it at night, which is what you then call firm energy. So if you've got a big battery, as they have in South Australia, mm. um, then it can take over. Yeah. But the the big three certainly are aware the energy market's shifting mm. and they're using this period of very high super profits in currently for their fossil fuel to put the money now into building major renewables mm-hmm. and saying out in the middle of the country where, of course, you've got most sun or in the high country where there's most wind and then saying to the government, now you have to build a transmission line. You have to see that there's enough transmission built. We have to be able to, you have to be able to take this energy we're building. Yeah. And the taxpayer pays for those. <laughs> and is that
0: not just shifting from one form of generation to another and it's just, it's not really changing the energy landscape, is that right? That,
1: that to me, is, is what it's about. So yeah. you're still saying, yes, we're shifting to renewables, but it's still going to be centralised. Yeah. And we don't need it anymore. So the big issue is how can we move to to a, the, the fact that we can move, we're in a position to move now, to an energy system that we, the community, own and control. Yes. And that we, the community, can benefit from. So to me, it's all about building something that is self-sustaining, that can help us move to localised, strong, healthy communities. Yeah. So that we can have, for example, um, streets sharing energy. You can have industrial estates sharing energy. You can have a slightly bigger plant that might be owned by the community, funding you know powering a hospital or an airport. Um, you don't have to have it all sitting somewhere remotely. Yeah. Um, we can have the, the fact that people can... It would be possible, I mean, the regulatory... The, the rules don't make it feasible, but it would be possible um, for people to be selling to each other. Mm. Um, yeah. And we see... So that, it, so that if you didn't have solar on your roof, then you'd be able to buy from your neighbour who might have solar on your roof, on his roof... Um, or you might be able to put your buy solar, invest in solar that's somewhere else, and have access to it.
0: Yeah, and, and so is that where those are concepts that I guess could theoretically be in place, but through current mechanism or current regulations, we're not able to do. But is that kind of the role that Anova is trying to Anova is trying to bridge that gap between the current or historical system to what could be the new
1: system? Yes. Is that right? Yes. It is, exactly. So we're saying we want to be the facilitators of self-sustaining communities. Mm. Um, we're capable of delivering a number of those elements now and we're working on pilot projects to make sure that we can do all of the rest of it. Yeah. Um, the It is the case that we can now have virtual power plants. So you can have solar and batteries on households and that can be used... Um, to feed back into the grid Um, you can so you can have what's known as demand management so it would be possible um, if you've got smart meters and the right software for people to say you can i will give you permission to use the energy um, from my um, hot water system or from my battery at the time that you need it in Mm. return for a better price Um, so that we can do all of that sort of thing, Um, I think quite a lot of the larger players are now starting to move into those virtual power plants, but they're potentially doing it in such a way that they still have control. Yes. And what we're trying to do is to say, and why we set ourselves up, and this is one of the key things, we set ourselves up as a social enterprise so that when we're in profit, fifty percent of the profits go back to the communities that the money came from. Yeah, to
0: fund projects like that. to fund that.
1: projects like that, or just to fund the communities in the yeah. future to yep. help fund things like um, more sustainable communities in every way. Yes, um, and that can be food, it can be water, it can be can be anything. But projects to make sure that everybody gets to participate in the shift to renewables, not just the people who can afford them.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: At, yeah, I mean, at the moment, the way things are working are um, that the people who've got the money can have their batteries and they can have their solar and they can do very nicely, thank you, mm. um, because it's got to the stage now where the batteries are coming down in price and you can have your battery and then you can wind up not having to pay much in the way of electricity bills at all.
0: Yeah, or even I can be completely off grid and not have to worry exactly. about... Anything at all, but if you're in a low-income household or a community housing or something like that, yep. you're left to yep. the pay the bills and pay the bills, which are going up uh, because more people,
1: more of the elite, are opting out. Is that right? That's exactly right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and that's what we're trying to avoid. Mm. So um, we—that's what I'm saying. That w- what we've done is to say, Innova will ensure that when we're in profit, 50% of the profits will go back to the our small-scale community shareholders, mm-hmm. and the other 50% will go back to the communities who are our customers by postcode. Mm. And they'll wow. have the opportunity to have that money back and circulating in their community. Yeah. Wow.
0: that's So there's a few things in that. So one is that um, the company is community-owned or major, yes. large community-owned. It is totally,
1: com- totally community-owned.
0: Yep, and there was a, quite a big crowdfunding campaign. I mean, there's been a couple, but you had one recently. Yeah.
1: The first one was when we – was back in 2015 – and we mm-hmm. spent four months raising money to set ourselves up. Um, we raised four million, and 70, wow. 75% of that came from the Northern Rivers region, yep. and the other 25% from every other state and territory in Australia because people wanted to see the model succeed. Yes. Um, and we still have people buying in. You can still buy shares from Innova. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a shareholder.
0: <laughs> very good. <laughs>
1: Um, But then uh, two years later, when we needed to raise some more capital, um, we decided the time had come to do a share split so that more people could become shareholders. And instead of having a a $1,000 share, the shares are now $1, Mm. Um, and we raised another $2 We raised another million at that point.
0: Yep. Mm.
1: Wow. And we've got more shareholders. So we now have
0: 1,600 shareholders. Yep. And that's not just... The, the that goes further than just the financial investment right because you've got 1600 advocates 1600 people who are you know telling their family and friends and are you know passionately
1: hand on heart trying to support the right thing yep the majority of them absolutely the others are waiting for us to get into this state <laughs> so so, so we're, we've been coming to queensland for a little while now but we'll certainly be there by early next year yep and uh, then we'll move into the other states progressively, Victoria yep. and South Australia. Mm. Yeah. And so
0: the the model at the moment is that you're acting as a retailer, still having to buy energy generation from the large-scale market.
1: Well, 60% of our energy comes from rooftop solar from our customers. Wow.
0: And that's because awesome. you've got Between customers 50 and 60, yeah. that are really passionate about
1: solar yeah. <laughs> about renewables wow. so um, yeah that's that's one of the things that we do have an enormous amount of solar um, probably more than we can use at the moment mm-hmm. um, a lot of the time but uh, then the other forty percent 40 to fifty percent then we offset um, and we have to we do have to purchase that from the grid mm-hmm. um, so we offset that with green power certificates
0: yep. And so the that's that's that kind of tra- that's playing that transition tr- transitionary role because mm. you can't just all of a sudden start a retailer who's 100 percent renewable. You have to be able to supply and and buy a portion of that electricity from the grid. But I can totally understand where you're trying to get the business model to, which is to be able to eventually not have to do that through either funding. Uh,
1: well, we want to own our own generation, mm. which hopefully will be community-owned generation. So we'll share in community-owned generation. Mm-hmm. Um, we are about to have our first battery. Yeah. Um, we've, we won a New South Wales government grant, um, and we're uh, just finalising a lot of the... Uh, a lot of the details mm. around what it will be and where it will be. So we have to yeah. go to tender. Um, what's, what's that going to look like? What is it? A- it'll be a two-megawatt-hour battery or one-megawatt. It's about the size of a, a shipping container. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's about a shipping container. And um, that will allow us to store some of the surplus solar yep. because we have surplus solar in the middle of the day. Um and be able to use that to offset the peak times at night so wow. not buying from the grid at night yep. um, and the second part of the project is that it would allow us to do some trading some energy trading so we'll have about 500 customers 250 of whom will be um selling their energy and the other 250 will be buying the energy so there'll be energy trading so we're, we're piloting an energy trading platform wow with our partners in osi um and uh, that will be a first for us and it will be a test yeah um, and that
0: helps to really facilitate the peer-to-peer buying and selling because exactly you could right. have a hundred houses connected that um, can buy and sell but the timing might not exactly line up when one person wants one and one person's generating right but if you have a community battery that is mm-hmm. helped facilitating that sharing yep that's the catalyst that's right wow yep. that's really exciting
1: yep. and it's it's making sure that Everything works. <laughs> yeah. And in a similar way, that could, you can see that at a smaller scale within, within streets if people don't, you know, because it's obviously more cost efficient to have one battery for a street than it is to have a battery on every household. Mm. Um, and you can think about it for apartment blocks. You can think about it in other ways so that again, uh, it can be something that can be facilitated. You need a retailer, you need somebody to sort out the billing structures to yes. handle all that, but you don't need to have it going off in long distance poles and wires yeah um,
0: and that's that key facilitation role that Enova plays because you wouldn't be able to do that if i was with agl and you're with origin and everyone on the street was with a different retailer that's right wow mm. I, I i can see it and it's so exciting
1: and and that's why we're saying communities can power themselves mm. we just we can working together we can look after our own energy And that can, at the moment, over three hundred million leaves the northern rivers alone, just on people's power bills. Wow, that's money that could be circulating in the community. Yeah, and that goes to replicate our regions, all around the state, all around Australia, and you can see how much money could be doing much more effective jobs. In yep. local in local communities.
0: So not that, only not only powering communities with renewable or mostly renewable energy, but also employing locals and re that money staying in that local yep. economic region. Yes, that's that's what it's about. <laughs> it 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 sounds so uh, straightforward. Why <laughs> it sounds so obvious. What's what's the what are the what are the challenges? Why why can't why can't we get there quicker?
1: I think it's very hard to get the story across. Mm. People are used to energy being something they don't have anything to do with. They just yeah. put on, just flick a switch, and that's my energy. And yes, I grizzle about my power bill, but I don't think about it again. Mm-hmm. People don't see it as something that they can control and own. Yeah, and that's the message we're trying to get across, and we're trying to get it across now. I think it's becoming more and more urgent because what's happening is that. I think the big companies um, are wanting to step into that market. They can see that the game's shifting Mm. and they're wanting to control the virtual power plants and we will still have the money leaving the regions. Yeah. Uh, And that's why we're trying to get the story across. Communities can and should be stepping up to control it.
0: Yeah. I think there's probably either a a lack of understanding and awareness um, but also... In some cases, probably just a lack of accountability you know I think in historically people communities myself included, we think that technology will save us you know, and that there's a big whether it's a massive solar plant off in the desert or co2 capture technology or geoengineering or some sort of the engineers will save us you know or mm. technology will save us and it that takes the power away from people, the, the, the ability to control and be part of the solution. Whereas we're not talking about a technological fix here or we're not talking about a, um, even just one company. It's actually society and community changing our mindsets and changing the way in which we actually interact economically yes. with this yes. system.
1: Yes, it's interesting because when you look back to the early 1900s, local government used to control energy. Mm. And somehow, you know, along the line, that shifted. And yet, the further away energy is, the more that's lost in the transmission. So about ten percent of the energy is actually lost in the transmission anyway of what's generated. Right. Uh, up to ten percent. Yeah. And um, you know, we don't need to be losing that, and we don't need to be spending as much on the infrastructure at the moment. That poles and wires bit costs somewhere between forty and fifty percent of what it costs you to get your energy. Mm. Um, and the trouble is, and you can appreciate this, I can, I can understand it, but in order to look after the people who live in far-flung Australia um, who are busy growing our food, we all share the cost of those poles and wires going to them. Sure, yeah. Um, but in fact, um, as I've heard from the people who are in distribution themselves, it would in fact be far more cost-effective these days to just have decent-sized battery sitting alongside some of those far-flung towns. Just as in mining com- mining camps, it's it's becoming far more cost-effective to have a battery and solar than it is to have diesel. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, and they can really reduce their costs in Indigenous communities in mining towns yep. by having renewables plus battery yep. rather than importing solar. And the same on the, the um, countries in the Pacific.
0: Yeah. Um, wow. So.
1: so I guess how do...
0: You talked about expanding and growing into other states and other markets. You know, mm. innova started very much locally to the Northern Rivers here, and um, and has broad community support. Um, but how do you expand into other other regions because they might have a nuanced solution or different needs?
1: Um, well, it, I think every community has different needs. Mm. Um, and what we would say is that we're there to facilitate whatever it is that that community wants to do. Um, we, our, our license covers the whole of the national electricity market, did from day one, apart from Victoria, which has different regulations. So we. <laughs> of course they do. <laughs> so it's just harder. <laughs> and we'll have to go through a whole set of new hoops to get into Victoria. But apart from Victoria, yeah, we cover the whole of the national electricity market, which doesn't include Western Australia, not surprisingly. Um, but it means that we can we can go in and we can say, We want to work with you, the community. I mean we we already have customers right through New South Wales. So we've moved in initially we were just with Essential Energy as our distributor. Mm-hmm. Now we're with the other two New South Wales distributors. Um so we're in Sydney, Newcastle, Wollongong, we're in all of that the whole of New South Wales now. Yep. Um and we have customers growing numbers in those two regions. But in, for example, um, Narrabri or wherever, we're happy to go in and say, if you've got an energy group, a local energy group working here, we're really happy to work with you. You tell us what you're trying to do. Are you trying to build a plant? Are you trying to um, put solar on the roofs of your um, community organisations? What is it that you're trying to do? And we can work with you. Mm. But whatever way we work with you, if you become our customers, 50% of what is is taken from you by way of profits goes back to you to use. Yeah. Um, so that you're better off to start with by working, you know they they automatically better off. And they can yeah. use that money to employ people to work locally, um, or they can use it just to buy equipment to put on roofs. yep.
0: so you're you're facilitating that market for them of which they mm. previously had no access to.
1: Well, they then if they didn't have um, us, then they'd have to find they could buy some find someone to buy their energy. They could try and enter into a PPA, but it's very mm. hard for community groups. To, um, it's it's quite hard for community groups to get someone to listen to them who's not community scale themselves.
0: Right, yeah, and then with a the, with a the PPA, there's other other issues where you have to have a pretty good forecast of what your energy usage will be, and you're locking yourself into a long term deal. And
1: and the, the the difficulty is that the costs that what you can make from solar is coming down. Because there's just more and more renewables, mm. and that's not just solar, it's wind, it's it's um, any uh, renewable energies and energy, the cost of energy in general, will come down as there is more and more renewable. But, um, well, it'll come down as long as you can get hold of it yourself. <laughs> mm. um, and it's not just being used for as, as super profits. But it is hard to get... It's been hard for us to get a PPA because we were too small in the early days mm-hmm. and because people expect large-scale guarantees. Yeah. Um, and you have to have a lot of capital to pay for your guarantees that you will not go out backwards. So, hmm.
0: Wow. So trying to scale up and get your foot in the door, really, and then get operational, that's been the biggest challenge. Been <laughs> the
1: biggest, biggest challenge. challenge. Yes, yes. <laughs> but it... There's been no there's no actual obstacle to us serving any energy, any area because we have our licence there mm. and we and we have a distributor there. Um, in terms of working with the community groups, every community is going to be different and have different needs um, and we're in a position to tailor what we do to meet their needs. Mm. Um, and we can say to them, look, we can do we're in a position to do um, microgrids we're in a position to do a virtual power plant we're in a position to do a solar garden mm. um, what is it that you're looking for
0: yeah so on the on the solar garden can you just um, mm. touch on that What's, yeah. what is a solar garden
1: a solar garden is a concept that comes from overseas um, some would say america <laughs> um, some would say europe but anyway it, the idea is that Members of the community can buy panels, which then don't go on their roof, but are in a a field somewhere, um, and then they get their energy back from that. Now, that's fine in America, um, but we have a different energy system with different charging. So in Australia, if you try and do that, you wind up paying too much for the distribution costs um, for for taking it from where it's generated and getting it back to you to make it Worthwhile. It just doesn't match up with having it on your own roof and being able to use it behind the meter. Sure. Um, so we came up with the concept, um, while, while we still have the current regulatory system that we have, whereby you have to pay the same amount to transport it from a field down the road to your household, you know, two blocks away, as if it was coming from the Hunter Valley up here. Mm. Um, while that still holds, um then the only way we can make it work is to have um, energy on a local roof being used, well, on a roof that's being used by an organisation and most of it being used by that organisation during the daytime, during the time that it's generated. So the customer purchases or pays for the panels that will go on the organisation's roof. They might have three kilowatts. And then when the organisation under that rooftop uses the energy, they pay us and we pay that back as credits on the guard, The person who has paid for the panel's
0: bills. And because you're a retailer and you can buy the energy and then the customer at a distance who's invested in the panels is a customer of yours, yep. you can just essentially apply a discount and a credit yep. to each, each person's bill. That's,
1: that's exactly right. And... We have a tax ruling that says that it won't be counted as income for mm-hmm. that person. So we had to get the tax ruling, but that <laughs> works. But there are still some other issues which um, have to be addressed. One is that there's, unfortunately, there's a there's a right size roof, mm. and there's a right, um, a, and they, they have to use most of the energy. So you have to find an organisation that. Doesn't want to buy its own solar right now. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't want to buy it probably for the next ten to twenty years, um, but is pleased to get a discount on their energy, uh, and um, is uh, and and it also meets their marketing or social needs mm. to make to make the benefit to share that benefit with the community. Yeah. So you need to have. Somewhere between the need for 30 30 to 45 kilowatts ideally um, and uh, to be used using all that energy all the time. So not really good for schools that are on holidays half the time. Yeah, yeah. You need somewhere between somewhere over 35 kilowatts to 99 kilowatts. Yeah. And in use.
0: So the concept's there and you've actually installed one of these already.
1: Yeah, we have a social access one that we've installed yeah. and that's one where the people who you might call the gardeners in the garden, the people yeah. who have the panels, <laughs> benefit from the panels, um, didn't actually pay for the panels. Yeah. They were paid for by money that was raised from other community groups. Mm. So Corum Community Owned Renewable Energy, Mullumbimby and ourselves and North Coast Community Housing all paid for some of the panels. The panels are on North Coast Community Housing's roof, their own their own organisation's roof, they 're busy using it all, and then the benefits go back to community organizations and social social housing yep. households that 's brilliant
0: and those so, are that 's exactly the type of project that the charitable arm um, um, of innova uh, will be able to fund yes that 's yes, exciting yes. microgrids shared batteries community owned renewable projects it 's all there I can see the I can see the <laughs> <laughs> the roadmap is all there. Yeah,
1: oh, and it's, it's just the it's just the issues that are involved in making any one of these projects, which mm. are always quite complex, um, work, and then being able to make it simple and easy for the community to use. And always there's regulatory hurdles. Yeah. So in terms of making the ones work for. Um, people to buy the panels. We have to have what's called an Australian financial services license or access to one to be able to give legally to give advice to the people who are paying for the panels. Right. So we're just busy organizing all of that. (laughs) (laughs) Alison, I think
0: I speak for more than just myself when I say I'm really glad that there are people like you that are navigating all those hurdles on behalf of of us, the rest of the members of community. Because I can see why I guess the bureaucracy and the the the, the regulations have been so hard to get around. But it's it's really exciting and uh heartwarming and inspiring to know that these projects are happening and there are people like yourself and the good people at ANOVA that are that are trying to change the landscape.
1: Well, I think it's the, it's the good people at ANOVA these days who are doing <laughs> most of the work, fortunately. Mm. Uh, as chair, I, I basically am there to, to make sure that the, the governance is, is under control um, and that we're doing the right thing by everybody. Mm. Um, there was something else I wanted to cover. Oh, yes, I think it's really important to understand that, that – Renewable energy isn't just about solar and wind. Mm. I mean, you know, the hydrogen thing is really coming along in leaps and bounds. Uh, It's being used quite heavily internationally and even the Australian government is saying, that's the big target now, we're going to be exporting hydrogen. So (laughs) it's not enough apparently for us to think about, you know. (laughs) We think it's something that we can be using here in terms of storage, uh, in terms of being able to have uh, hydrogen cars are definitely coming along certainly hydrogen trucks they'll probably it could be the um, larger scale vehicles that, that move to hydrogen first yeah they're, they're going to be competing with uh, electric vehicles um, so there's no reason why you can't have a string of hydrogen stations up the road mm. rather than a string of petrol stations I yep. mean if this if this country did the sort of thing that London said which is that all cars allowed in London are going to be, Electric by twenty 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 five or twenty thirty I can't remember now, but it was I, one of those know. two. But that, wow. they have announced that. Wow, um, it would just take a shift like that, you know, from a from a to show leadership that yes. then starts getting some of these things happening.
0: I was that was going to be my next question: oh. is what's <laughs> your what's your take then? Because you've worked in and with government for a long time. What's your take then on what we're being told at the moment, which is it's going to be a gas-led recovery, and and the the people that are leading it, obviously, like they're not even trying to hide it. There's a clear conflict of interest. How how did how do we get there, and <laughs> how 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 does that serve us? How do we get around that? What what do we do?
1: I think it's I think it's really a shame. I'm I'm deeply concerned. We've written a submission um, both to this and to the um, so to the people who did the energy roadmap. It's really sad that we're seeing. A, the push towards gas, but you can at least say that they are also saying, we're going to use other technologies such as hydrogen. Uh, The shame is both with that and with um, the AEMO's um, renewable integrated study. where again they're talking about the roadmap and how we develop systems to deal with the renewables that are coming along, they're all saying we we know that distributed energy is coming. We understand there will be distributed energy in households and that people will have batteries and that there will be local storage. But they're ignoring the fact that, it, and that they're seeing it as a problem. Wow. They're seeing it as something that, is going to be a problem for the grid to deal with, that they have to strengthen, um, they have to build more transmission, they have to build build more um, distribution, they have to have strong distribution points to enable it to happen. And yet it is the case that if we have more renewable locally with more storage locally, it is in fact more secure, it it is more Um, reliable Mm. if you have a fire over here, a bushfire over here and it takes down the lines you haven't then completely wiped out all of the power to enable you to use your water supply which is what happened in the last bushfires Um, and you've still got the radio coming through potentially your means of getting access to information Mm. um, which if all of your lines are down um, you don't have so um, what we're saying is if we can have a a self-sustaining community with its own energy supplies, it will not only be less expensive, there'll be more jobs, it will also be more reliable and more secure. Whereas what we're seeing is governments saying, well, we're going to have to have the ability to automatically turn off your power. And that frightens people. Mm -hmm. Um, They want to know, instead of saying, we're going to build in regulations to allow us centrally to control you, it should be more. We're going to allow you to have an interface that works well with your retailers, and you and your retailers between you can share the benefits. Yeah. But by and but by the way, it doesn't all have to be totally dependent on big long lines coming in and taking it all out. Yes. Um. So it, you know, it's it's to me, it's a. It's how we do it. It's not what we do. I think people are now recognising it's going to go renewable. Yep. And that could be through plant-based. It could be through hydrogen. It could be through solar and wind. It's going to go renewable. It's a question of how we do it and how much control we, the, the, the people in our communities, take over it. Mm. And that's the big challenge right now.
0: Yep. And now feels like a time more than ever with things like bushfires, pandemic, a lot of government and and business investment is needed, now seems like the time more than ever to be looking at these sorts of projects to support resilient communities. That's
1: right. That's exactly right. Um, It just seems to be, I mean, we've got the government saying on the one hand, Um, we're going to export gas, we're going to have pipelines for that and also we're going to make hydrogen a big target and it's hydrogen under a dollar and all of this sort of thing and we're going to be exporting. Yes, of course we can export hydrogen, but we can also use hydrogen locally and we can use it without having to, to, you know, if you put the money in that's going into building big... Transmission into doing self-supporting, and we're not saying you don't need transmission and you don't need, you know, of course we need the grid, we've already paid for the grid, why not keep it there? Hmm. Um, But it doesn't have to be the key focus of it, and if we can have it within regions and making, making use of it locally and not being charged for a whole chunk of that, um, then it will be um, far more cost beneficial and we'll see stronger, uh, communities with more jobs
0: yeah this mm. we're, we're presented with an opportunity mm. more than ever mm. and so it's it's actually potentially a really exciting and pivotal point in time and I guess if there's one thing you can leave us with it's what can someone who's a listener who just goes well that all sounds really exciting but what can I do what what can people actually do to facilitate the transition and to play a role in taking back some of that control for their communities
1: well in most communities there's an organization a community organization it depends how much effort you want to put in Mm -hmm. in most in most communities there there are now uh, a growing number of community organizations that are interested in doing things like community scale um, renewables Mm. um, and you can participate in that but it's quite simple to simply become a customer of Innova. yep um and then you can share in some of the projects that are coming up um and you can share in the benefits
0: so it's as easy as just changing your reach retailer. Retailer. it's given an over call changing your retailer there's it's all price competitive if you're in uh, anywhere in new south wales mm. anywhere in Where else?
1: Just anywhere in New South Wales at the moment. Soon to be Queensland. Queensland in next year, early next year.
0: Yep. That's exciting. So Mm. that's a really simple thing that you can do, which just means that you are just like how you wouldn't want to buy fast fashion from a company that you know is exploiting... Um, you know having unethical practices you can change your electricity retailer to one that is supporting the transition to community owned and community beneficial renewable energy Alison thank you so much I really appreciate your time I really appreciate you explaining the ins and outs in such a clear way of this market that I'm sure is unbelievably complicated to navigate and um, I'm just really happy to know that there is a company out there that's trying to do some some amazing work
1: so thank you thank you very much James awesome that was great you